0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back this week. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do each week on this program is just answer our viewers' questions about the Bible Uh, We get all kinds of questions. We get some directly about the Bible, and we get some about life and uh, what's going on in your family, and you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, We even get current event questions. What's the Bible have to say about this? And and we'll try to find you a principle in the Bible for most any kind of question you've got that uh, might relate to the Bible some way. So that's what we do, and the way we get your questions there's a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about on this program. You direct the program. Uh, the other fellow who helps me answer questions is here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good
1: morning, Steve. Glad
0: you're here and ready to go and studied up. And uh, We've got some good ones coming up like we do every week, but we always start with one for our viewers, so let me get that done. Uh, two of the books in the Bible, two out of 66, are named after women. And we want to know what those two are, see if you can figure that out, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you and your family know a little bit of Bible information there. All right, uh, looks like Toby gets to start us off today, so go (laughs) ahead. And it looks like a fairly easy one, too. Uh,
1: The question is, why are there so many differences in the congregations of Churches of Christ? (laughs) All right. Well, uh, and this could have been asked from a perspective of someone who's maybe visited uh, several or perhaps someone who's in the Church of Christ. It seems like in theory, if we all churches of Christ say, just like we teach on this program, just go by what the Bible says and do that, in theory, we should come out looking about the same, right? Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they were devoted to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so you should see those common themes as you go to a church of Christ, but but if you've ever visited a multitude of churches, uh, churches of Christ or not, uh, you know that the church looks a little different depending on where you are and who you're with. And uh, my answer to that is that unity in Christ does not always mean uniformity in Christ. Uh, there will be differences, even in the New Testament. You look at most of the New Testament, they were Actually, those books, like 1 Corinthians, that was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Well, the church at Corinth looked a lot different than the church at Ephesus, which is our book of Ephesians. Uh, And those are two churches that, in theory, were under the same Lord, that were desiring to follow Him in the same way, and yet they had a different set of circumstances, challenges, and problems. Uh, At the very end of the New Testament, uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses the seven Churches, And there in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we see that those churches all have different strengths and weaknesses. And they're sort of in the same geographical area, but their cultures are different, their people and the, the challenges that they face. And Jesus admonished some and encouraged others, uh, and they were all different, part of the same body. Well, why is that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the the culture, where the church is located. Are you a rural church or an urban church? Uh, Part of it is the demographics. Uh, Are you a younger church or an older church? Um, Part of it could be things like, uh, you know, uh, are you a wealthy church or are you a church in poverty? And I think the, the neat thing about it is you see the Lord's church existing all over the place in every different type of culture and among every different type of people. To me, that's an encouraging thing. Well, there are, of course, differences among Churches of Christ. We invite you to attend Northside here on occasion, uh, the the host congregation of Know Your Bible. But we invite you to attend other Churches of Christ in the area as well, if you're able to. And if you visited all of the ones that we invite you to attend, uh, you may see a lot of differences. And a lot of those have to do with culture and people and where they're located and all of that. I think there's two types of differences. Uh, The first is substantive. Uh, you know if you If you go to a church and they contradict the Bible, they ignore the plain teaching of scripture, uh, the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. If they teach something contrary to what god 's Word said, those are substantive differences. Uh, There are also going to be what I call superfluous differences. Uh, The the number of services they have, if they have small groups or not, what kind of ministries they have, uh, the order that they do things, the style, all of those are a little less important uh, than sticking with the Word. So there are going to be differences, um, and the important differences are what does the Bible speak on. And if we see something contrary to God's Word, we're always going to stick with what God's Word says. So we want to strive for the unity that Jesus prayed for. But we understand that church to church, congregation to congregation, they're going to look a little different. Let's read John chapter 17, verse 20. It says, uh, Jesus here is praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, and so even though we're different, we should strive for the unity that Christ <coughs> prayed for and strive to be unified under what the Bible says.
0: Okay. let me just add this: when you read that question, it may be the viewer saying, "Oh, there's something wrong here mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, differences are okay, and yeah. you covered that uh, because if God didn't want there to be any differences he could have listed he could have written you know volumes yeah. about do this and do this and don't do this and all He didn't. He left it pretty wide open. He he gave us a few general rules, uh, but didn't tell us when or how or what to do a lot of things. So, uh, if God didn't specify, then differences are okay. Yeah. Well, (laughs) if you
1: look around creation, I mean, a a beautiful sunset, beautiful flowers, they're all beautiful, but yet they're all different. I see a sunset every day, but... They're never alike, are they? <laughs> so, but they're all the same sunset. Yep.
0: All righty, we got one about uh, movies here. Got a little <laughs> movie review. <laughs> viewer says in the newer movie of the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses told the people that if they didn't keep the law, God would punish them, but also uh, their children and children's children. Did Moses really say that? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I've seen the newer. Ten Commandments, that Charlton Heston is Moses, and that's settled. So, why why would anybody watch anything yeah, else? Right there <laughs> we know that. <laughs> but if there is a movie and it's got that in it, it, it got that part right, and Moses did say that. Now, the question is, what did he mean? And does it really mean that if you do something wrong, you're grandchildren are going to be punished. So let's work through this. Uh, number one point I want to make is he was talking specifically about idolatry there. He said don't go after idols uh, because you know the punishment will go on. It will last for generations. And that's the nature of idolatry. When a generation decides to forsake God and worship something else, uh, Baal or some other idol, it's... Probably that's the way they're going to raise their kids and their grandkids are going to turn out that way. So uh, idolatry is kind of a special bad thing that way that it does tend to mess up generations. And we see that all through the Old Testament. Another thing to think about is uh, the consequences of a father's sin or a person's sin or a parent's sin does carry on for generations. Uh, Children and grandchildren are often punished uh, for something that a prior generation did. Uh, We can say it's not fair, but we know that's the way the world works. Uh, If uh, a father has a gambling addiction and gambles away the family fortune, uh, his children are going to pay the consequences of that. They're not going to have an inheritance. Uh, The grandchildren will probably suffer some because their parents have to rebuild uh, the wealth and all that. So it goes on, and every other sin has different consequences, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, It goes down through the, the generations. So in that sense, yes, it does go to children's children and beyond. But here's the important one. Are we talking about spiritual guilt uh, because a parent does something sins, do grandchildren get the spiritual guilt of that? And the answer to that is no. The bible 's very clear about that that 's not what Moses meant. He meant idolatry goes on for generations, the consequences go on for generations, but ezekiel eighteen twenty is the clearest place we can read that, and it just clears it right up. Ezekiel chapter eighteen and verse twenty uh, says, "The soul who sins shall die." The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now, you can't get it clearer than that in fact Ezekiel kind of goes over it twice and makes us think about it both ways uh, no it's not a guilt thing that goes on or punishment spiritually that goes on through generations if a soul sins that's a soul that gets punished if a soul's righteous that soul gets judged righteous so uh, that clears that up Moses did say it but he was talking about the effects of idolatry or the effects of any sin for that matter that Go on to future generations,
1: all right, how'd okay. we get
0: the Garden of Eden named?
1: Ah uh, well, I'll see here okay <laughs> Was it God or Adam? That named the Garden of Eden. Well, the Bible never says specifically who named the Garden of Eden. In fact, when we look at Scripture, uh, my answer is probably neither, according to the Scripture, God or Adam. It may more likely have been Moses. Um, But this is from Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 8, and then verse 15. Uh, It says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man <laughs> whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it." Well, we understand that Moses wrote, the, uh, probably the author of the first five books of the Bible telling the story of the beginnings and all of that. And uh, so that's my answer is more likely Moses, but uh, the, the the title, Garden of Eden, was more of a description description of the location. Uh, rather than a title uh, that was given to that specific place, but um, who knows? Maybe Adam or, or God did give Moses that title. We don't know, but uh,
0: that's what the scripture says anyway. I was thinking as you answer, Adam probably just called it home. Yeah,
1: that's he, it. He didn't, he didn't know any place <laughs>
0: else. Just where I am. Yep. Okay, let me take just a moment and invite you to uh, study the Bible with us and actually study the Bible at home with some tools that we have, uh, some Bible study materials that we're happy to send you in the mail. A good way to study the Bible. We've been doing it for years because we do want people to know their Bible. And we found this is a good way to do it. You see a course on the screen here. There's eight lessons in it. uh, And it's a good overview of the Bible. It's not a denominational creed or a specific church teaching. It's just an introduction to the Bible. In fact, you can see that by the first two lessons there on your screen. The first two are the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, so if you've always wondered what what's the difference between the Old and the New, those two lessons help you figure that out. Uh, you'll learn what the Old Testament's about, what the New Testament's about, and then the third lesson talks about what the difference between them is. But uh, you lay that foundation, and then there's some more advanced uh, Topics there that you go on through, and you have a pretty good handle on your Bible once you get done with this eight lessons. We've got more advanced courses. You can keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Not the only way to study the Bible, but it's a good way. And uh, we've had a lot of a lot of folks go through the courses and uh, tell us how much they learned and how much they appreciate it. So, phone number, website are on the screen. Use either one of those. Tell us you want that free course, and it will come to you. And it is free. Uh, We don't ask you for money. We never put you on a mailing list. Don't bother you in any way. We just give you some Bible study materials, and if you'll use them, you'll know your Bible a whole lot better. So give us a chance on that. All right. uh, A viewer wants to know what we believe about after death. Do you believe that after one dies that you sleep until Jesus comes? Well, the real succinct answer is no. We don't believe that. Uh, I know that there are some people that teach that, that some people think that, uh, and I think most of it comes from a few places where it says those who have fallen asleep. uh, Using that term, I think that's much better interpreted as just our human point of view. Uh, That's what a dead body looks like to us. It looks like it's asleep, And so Paul and others sometimes use that terminology that they've fallen asleep. Uh, But are they literally asleep, uh, unconscious, until the judgment day? I don't think so. Uh, The reason I don't think so is, one, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, is the only real story we have about the afterlife. And both of them were aware. They knew what was going on. They could communicate with people Uh, They knew what was happening. They were definitely conscious. Uh, Another thing is that Jesus told the thief uh, on the cross, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, You know, if he was going to die and go to sleep for a thousand years, uh, I'm not sure that makes much sense. Mm -hmm. He said, You're going to be with me, and we're going to be in paradise. And uh, the last one, perhaps, is Paul talks about dying, and he says, I can hardly wait uh, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He was looking forward to being present with the Lord. Uh, and if he was just going to go to sleep uh, until Jesus came back, God, it doesn't seem reasonable that he would say it that way. So uh a few other instances that give us some indication. Moses and Elijah came back at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they were awake and aware and Not sleeping until the judgment day. So, uh, do we believe that? No. We believe that we are conscious. We don't know much about the afterlife, what it's going to be like, but I think we will be aware uh, and be a place of of rejoicing. We're going to be with the Lord, so it's going to be a good thing if we're in Christ when we die. So, uh, no, don't believe you sleep.
1: Okay. Uh, Question about money. A viewer asks, where does it say money? is the root of all evil. And uh, my answer to that is nowhere does it say money is the root of all evil. I know that's uh, something that we hear uh, tossed about and someone may say, oh yes, that's in the Bible, that's what it says. Well, this is a a good example of where it's very important to do what we advocate on this program, to know your Bible. Uh, Because here we have something that's close, but when you read the scripture we understand it's very different. Uh, nowhere does it say that money is the root of all evil. However, let's look at what it does says. First Timothy chapter six, uh, verses nine and ten. Paul writes to Timothy, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Some translations say with many griefs. Uh, The point is, if you say money is the root of all evil, uh, uh, that creates a problem because then the next logical question is how much money? Uh, For example, I don't feel very rich, uh, but for someone living uh, in a third world country uh, who lives on a dollar a day, uh, they would look at my life and say, You are rich. And so it really becomes the standard of what, what, how much money, and that's where all sorts of problems doctrinally can creep in. It has to do with your attitude towards money that is important. Uh, I believe in the kingdom there are rich people and poor people alike, and they they both can be used by God to do great things uh, regardless of uh, how much you have. And also uh, the love of money uh, can be an attitude or a heart problem Uh, You can be a poor person and have the wrong attitude, have a heart problem towards money. Uh, We see people that are greedy for money and get into all sorts of... uh, 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 try to gamble and try to get rich quick and try to do all this stuff because their heart's in the wrong place. They've got the love of money. And that's what Paul's speaking about here. Of course, you can have that problem if you have a lot of money, too. And that's what people think of first. But it's your attitude. Do you love money more than you love the Lord. And if you do, that's a problem. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, He said you cannot serve both God and money. Now, He didn't say you cannot have both God and money. He said you cannot serve, meaning if you're a person of, of means and wealth, uh, you have to work harder to keep your perspective and make sure that, number one, the person you're serving is God and not your money and not your wealth. So it's our attitude toward it and what we do with it and it applies at all income levels Uh, the question is does money serve you or do you serve your money, someone once said that money is a a wonderful servant, but a terrible master indeed, so the principle is we 've got to manage god 's money in god 's ways, and uh, however much or little we have, we 've got to be good stewards of it
0: good answer all right let 's talk <coughs> about spanking kids here. <laughs> viewer says i 've heard that spare the rod and spoil the child uh, means to spank children. I also heard it meant just to discipline them, uh, which is correct well. Uh, it occurred to me that I was getting ready to answer this that the longer we're on the more topics we get that are politically incorrect <laughs> uh, we'd have probably <coughs> answered this a whole lot different 30 years ago. Today we got to kind of explain it a little bit uh, to answer the viewer's question I'd say both are correct uh, probably discipline children is the best interpretation. <coughs> Excuse me, but when the Bible talks about the rod, it is talking about physical punishment. Uh, so both of them were approved. Uh, I decided just to pick a few different Proverbs out. So I've got three of them here we'll put on the screen. Maybe you can get the flavor of it. <coughs> proverbs twenty three thirteen says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he won't die. <laughs> so it's okay to spank him. Uh, proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly... "...is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him." And the last one, Proverbs 29:15, "...the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother." I think that's the key one verse, and that's why I put it last. Uh, the problem is not disciplining a child. The problem is not training a child. If you don't train them, if you don't discipline them somehow, uh, they're foolish. Folly's bound up in their heart, and they're going to bring you grief if you don't discipline uh, Actually, they're going to bring other people grief while you're raising them uh, if you don't discipline and train them. Uh, people won't want to be around them in general if you, they're not trained or disciplined. now. So the principle is to do the disciplining, do the training. Now, the rod is an approved way of doing that. Uh, the Bible does talk about that, and I'm sure... Back in the old days, they used the the rod or a switch or whatever you want to call it a little bit more than we do today. Uh, It's not mandated, and I think it's important to point out that uh, it depends uh, mostly, I think, on the child. Uh, There are some children that their temperament is such uh, that you just look at them cross-eyed, and they'll straighten right up. They don't want that disapproval. And there's others that it takes the rod. It takes a little switch on the back of the legs to get their attention, and a little bit of pain drives that folly out of their heart. So uh, I think it it's not a universal rule that you got to spank kids. Uh, some of them it's not good for, and some of them it's the only thing that gets their attention. Uh, I think it also depends on the age of the child, uh, obviously, the discipline changes as a child gets older. So, uh, to read what it says about the rod and all that, I'd say yes, the Bible approves spanking, uh, but it also mainly is saying we got to discipline kids. That's your job as a parent is to train them, discipline, bring them upright. Okay, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, we are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and a number of different ones support us, and we want like to recognize a few each week uh, today. Let me mention a few out east of Wichita, Kansas, which is our home church, but uh, Emporia and Eureka, Kansas. Both have fine groups of folks that uh, worship and think about the Bible a lot like we do on this program and uh, believe in the program. and. Uh, We'd invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. Uh, Maybe you live in one of those communities and know somebody that worships at the Church of Christ. Uh, Tell them, hey, I watch that program that you guys support, and I appreciate you keeping it on the air. Of course, if you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit them sometime. You'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, Any other market that you're in, there's a Church of Christ near you probably, so give them a visit sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right. Why did God do something?
1: Ah, I love to answer the "why God" question. Always tough. Uh, There's a story. uh, The question, I guess, first is why did God kill Uzzah? This is an unusual story in Second Samuel Samuel chapter six of Uzzah, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and as they rolled over, uh, it's. The cart stumbled, and Uzzah reached out to save the ark. When he did that, he touched the ark, and God struck him dead. doesn't seem right to us. doesn't seem fair. Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 3 and following. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled." And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the Ark of God. And that doesn't seem right. Well, if you understand that... that that the ark was a holy piece, and it was not to be touched. Numbers chapter four verse fifteen uh, tells them very clearly that that they were not to touch the ark. In fact, in Exodus twenty-five the, and the instructions for building the ark, they, the ark was to be carried not on a cart but with two poles through four rings, and they would carry it. And if they had been doing it that way, then there wouldn't have been oxen to stumble and tip over the cart and tip over the ark. So if they'd done things God's way, this wouldn't have happened. But since they didn't do things God's way, things happened that they didn't anticipate, and therefore Uzzah put in this precarious position of having to reach out and grab the ark, and God is holy. And that's really the answer to that Uh, whole question, is why did God do it, is because God is holy, and because Uzzah, well-meaning as he was, was irreverent. And when you're irreverent, you ignore the holiness of God. So good lesson for us about following all of the instructions of God and paying attention and always remembering that God is holy and that He must be listened to.
0: I think that's the lesson. He, he, he had to teach it. Uh, Hard way to we, learn. Yeah, let's squeeze <laughs> this one. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? Uh, Jesus called or told his apostles, and let's just read it, Matthew 16, verses 5 and 6. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, there's a little humor in here because uh, the apostles had forgotten to buy groceries before they went on this trip on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, talking about a completely different subject, said, you got to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, leaven was yeast uh, yeast gets into a loaf and changes everything. Uh, so what he was talking about was the teaching of the Pharisees. Beware of what they teach because it'll mess things up. Well, the apostles were confused and thought he's talking about us not buying <laughs> bread and we shouldn't buy any from the Pharisees or something. Uh, so one of their clueless moments. But Jesus explained it to them a little bit later. Trivia question. Let's get that answered. Uh, what two books of the Bible are named after women? Ruth and Esther are the two that got books named after them. So that's the right answer to that one. We're out of time for questions today, but we're glad you've been with us. Going to invite you to be back with us for some more questions next week. Until then, you have a great week. The